Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. I am DC, one of your four co-hosts, and I'm joined by Jack Lawrence and DY. Now, before we get into our awesome content for today, questions to be answered, I wanted to get a bit of a recap where the boys are currently sitting in their off season. We know that Lawrence is pretty close to his kind of like pre-prep phase, actually just darted off off the screen. So I'm not going to ask him a question straight up, but um, just want to see where everybody is at this point in time. And let's start with you, Jack. How's training at the moment? You're lifting some tremendous numbers, man. And obviously we got the opportunity to, to, to all train together uh, recently at Riggs Fit, which was a hell of a lot of uh, a good time. It's got some great equipment there. How's, uh, how's things for you at the moment? Yeah, things are great. And it was great to catch up at Riggs and I'm just watching Lawrence uh, dismember himself, I think, at the moment. And, oh, dude, I just cramped in my tricep. That was brutal. It looks very theatrical. And, yeah, things are good with me. Um, uh, Training-wise, I'm actually in the final week of my block, so week six. And I've got a little bit of a glute niggle, uh, which I'll be seeing Lawrence for tomorrow. May Always make sure to book in with Lawrence from Everybody's Physio. Yeah, just a cheeky, oh, cheeky plug him. right there. How much are you oh, paying good. him, Lawrence? Well, now I can't charge him tomorrow. Damn it. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm, it's it's honestly been a bit worse than I expected. Like it's been it's been quite a long time, which is good. Where I where I've had an injury that's actually taken me out um, for for like longer than a week. Usually, I can just maybe drop an exercise for a week and then come back to it the following week and, and everything's fine. Um, but yeah, this one seems to be a little bit persistent. I think it's just a slight glute strain. I mean, we'll I'll find out tomorrow with with Lawrence um, what the diagnosis is, but um, I think it's just a bit of extra recovery. So I'll probably deload prematurely, and and uh, hopefully that's enough to uh, to get it settled completely. Mm. And otherwise, like yeah, very happy with the numbers I'm lifting, and um, yeah, I won't I won't uh, talk too much about uh, nutrition because I'm a bit of a bore in that regard, but body weight's coming up almost reaching peak body weight at, which will be like 94 and a half kilos. And so that will be a cool milestone to reach. Mm. It's a good thing that you, you and Lawrence are not competing in the same season because you'd go and see Lawrence and Lawrence would be like, look, man, I think you're just going to have to like, you know, postpone your season. Like you're just going to have to compete <laughs> next year. I'm like, yeah, dude, I, I think you're going to need surgery. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Stuff the conservative measures of treatment. We just have to <laughs> just go straight remove to the our, glute. Yeah, just remove the glute tissue. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. If there was anyone who could in natural bodybuilding and probably still look decent, it would be Jack. To be fair, <laughs> Jack and DC, they could probably still get away with taking half the glute out. <laughs> just remove Sounds like half, exactly half the tissue. Exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, it's going to be a glute strain. Take it easy. Next thing you know, Lawrence said no, no training quads, no deadlifting for the next year and a half. And now look at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, going backwards. Yeah. Jack, I think this is early osteoarthritis. I would recommend a hip replacement now. <laughs> yeah. Let's get it done. What's the requirement for hip replacements? Like over 65 or over 60 or something like that, I think is the, the cutoff. Or maybe that's knee replacement. I can't quite yeah. remember. Oh, look something like that. Jack's parents are doctors. I'm sure they can pull some strings. <laughs> I don't think get my private in. health will cover that. Yeah, get him in. 25 years old. It's like the classic orthopedic surgeon mantra. Like, mate, you're going to need it eventually. You may as well get it done now. Mm, we may as well mentally prime you for having to need it, you know, later later mm. in life at least, Jack. So, yeah, yeah, just letting you know, man, at some point in life. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm definitely feeling better now. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect going into that appointment tomorrow very uh, optimistic yeah absolutely. what about you dy what's happening man yeah man i've been good i've been good i caught up with joe uh pretty much like a week and a half ago as my usual little bi-weekly check-in with him did some skin folds everything's traveling quite smoothly uh it's been about 10 weeks 10 weeks since i got back from the holiday so overall weight's traveling quite smoothly skin folds are going up nicely Training's progressing very nicely as well. My glute issue has somewhat subsided. So I think I've just kind of passed it off to Jack now. Now he can manage that for the next year. And then maybe one of you boys might catch it after. But overall, man, it's been extremely smooth. Uh, training has been progressing very nicely. Now I can actually start moving some weight on my lower body movements without it causing any issues in like that SI joint. So overall, like 
I feel like I'm back in the groove and making significant progress in that lower body too. Mm. What sort of modifications were, were you having to make to your program to still get in some, obviously some stimulus for the lower body, but, but, you know, work, work around things. I pretty much revamped my RDL. So, and I took away a lot of like heavier leg pressing, like hack squats, which are putting a lot of pressure on like my SI joint when I was at that bottom portion of the lift. So I just pretty much reworked, took out a bunch of them lifts, did like a lot of single joint movements and uh, just a bit of stretching, mobility, a little bit of activation prior going into my big lifts. Maybe there was some stuff that I wasn't cueing correctly like in terms of like my glutes and my core so maybe my hip and like lower back was taking over so after implementing some of that little bit of stretching rejigging up my program taking out some of the heavy hitting lifts it's uh been progressing a lot nicer a little bit of stretching <laughs> oh, a little 15 20 minutes of stretching each session with a little bit of foam rolling and it's been doing wonders is that the uh the c-bum shirt that's not the most yeah, recent is. one, is it? Or it's so it good. is. It it's is. cool, man. That's very nice. Filthy. I didn't know what size I was going to be, so I bought a large and an extra large. So, uh, yeah. But I saw it come out, and I was talking to Lawrence about it today. I normally always like to support people that I follow and like watch, and I never ever bought anything of his. So I was like, you know what? Stuff it. Mm. I'll, uh, I always like giving back for the content that I consume. Same with like natural mm. bodybuilding, AJ, stuff like that. You know, like if I like their stuff that they put out, I always like try and support the, uh, support the people. Mm. I think that's pretty cool. Actually. I've watched a few video logs of his and like, as he, as he w- wins the comps, his mates always rock up with like a new, new kid out for him with like yeah. this, the celebration of the win. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think it was a one, his business partner pretty much had this like designed backstage, like designed, going into it and it was like a limited edition release or something but you know obviously it gives you some level of confidence knowing that they've probably printed out a hundred thousand t-shirts mm. behind you that they're going to resell so if mm. he didn't win that oh he probably would have been in a little bit of strife yeah yeah just letting you know we've sunk x amount of dollars into these shirts they're already printed no pressure man <laughs> yeah right as he's about to get on stage like slaps his butt all right up you go oh, yeah you'd have been nervous yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the what's the quality like of the shirt? It looks good. It's actually good. Uh, uh, the shirt, like I guess, is like normally I would expect. I normally wear the Nike ones. Like I feel like it's a little bit higher up on the neck. But like when I first put it on, it was like, eh, but I actually like it's like a thicker material. Kind of like the Nike shirts that I rock anyway. Mm. Like the oversized. I think they're called like the Nike tees. So I actually really enjoy it, and hopefully it looks good. <laughs> Lawrence was giving me compliments. That's that's <laughs> all that matters. Yeah, I was good, tripping man. all over you today, mate. Looks lovely. <laughs> As you can see, general muscle shirt behind me on the chair. Well, that's Support the question, everyone, isn't man. it? Yeah. Like, I wonder how many, you know, that wonderful garment on your chair versus the one on your chest. It's probably tough as to how many have been sold from each, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. There be, wouldn't be much in it. I was actually wearing this one. Then they knocked at the door, delivered my new C-bum shirt. So I actually took it off. It's on the back of the chair. Bang. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> all right, off. Just a few decimal points not- to separate that. Yeah. yeah exactly it's like a little um like a doormat <laughs> when i get sweaty just pat down the head back on the back of the chair yeah exactly that's perfect walks into the room oh it's such a nice shirt puts it on great takes it off just throws it into the corner <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like my check-in shirt yeah yeah all those <laughs> grueling check-ins yeah you just got to keep wiping that brow as that mate those mousy hands are just working so hard as the loom videos are going off can't mm. be shimmering Mm, yeah, exactly. exactly right. The white's going to become yellow soon on that, that the stain <laughs> on that shirt. Yeah. yeah. So Lawrence, man, what's uh what's happening with you? Where we are? I I am very good. I was going to say as well, like on that topic of the the shirts being made like prior to an event. I sometimes think of that in like the NBA and the NFL, where like both teams say at the Super Bowl, like when the team wins, they will come out with these you know team shirts that say 2023 Super Bowl champions, and it's like. Those would be all sitting there printed, the hats, the shirts for the other team. And I wonder, like, where do they go? Do they just destroy them? Like, well, game seven of the NBA finals, like, either team could win. So there would just be, like, hundreds of, of shirts like that just bent. That's, that's mm. terrible. Mm. You, just, you just wear it behind closed doors like your pajama shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but no, mate, I'm, I'm pretty good. I have definitely felt like I'm, I'm back in the swing of things after like a pretty ordinary start to the year with getting sick and picking up a little bit of a niggle but 
when I trained the last week has been, you know, back to 100%, like where my deadlifts are back to where they were after I left off. And a lot of my squatting movements are feeling back to normal now, which has been good. The body weight is just slowly creeping up. I've been pretty much 92 on the dot a few times this week. So we're a little bit up from, from last month, which is good, but I can't foresee us getting too much heavier than this. So I think, you know, that 93, ish will probably be the upper range of where we start prep and and we'll go from there because that's sort of you know around that hopefully 11 12 kilos to lose which will be good and until then mate it's just going to be as training as hard as we can and, and just trying to eke out any last progress um from the rest of this off season we've got about eight weeks to go now until it's time to get into prep so no it's going to be really good i do have a bone to pick with dy though because he absolutely stitched me up on the pendulum on Sunday and ruined my session because I asked him to give me a hand and to rack the pendulum when I was done because I can't do it by myself. I'm too much of a short king. I can't like flick the thing. And I got, I was doing a set of 15 to 20. And mind you, this is the third pendulum session since being injured slash sick. And the week before I'd still been kind of feeling things through. So I got 15 to 20 got to the 16th rep and I was like, yep. As in like, okay, I'm done. Thank you. And DY is like, just says nothing. I was like, oh, okay, well I'm going back down. Get <laughs> another two more by this point, like, like RPE nine on that last one. And I'm like, okay, cool. Rack. And I said it rack. And he was like, no. And I like went down for the 19th, failed it. And then he like picks me up and racks it afterwards. And I cannot tell you how like not only cooked my quads were, but my CNS was in the toilet after that. I took like 10 mm. minutes before I did a set of rows. It was absurd. Mm. It sounds like a good session to me. Does that not sound like a great session to you? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I thought it was great. a tremendous set, but like, it, like if, we were, if we're chasing RARs of five, like, you know, just let me know. Like, <laughs> I won't even be there. <laughs> see, I, see, those, I wouldn't have mind that in like, a, you know, week six or week seven, but I just don't know about week two. <laughs> and yeah it was it was good and at least now i know that i can probably push for a bit more but now you know time, how hard i wasn't impressed as well yeah, yeah exactly. i know like i don't yeah. muck around like you know you hear me moaning halfway across the gym <laughs> turns I, out, deadlift, turns I, out. I deadlift my 90 kilos exactly Turn, turns out uh dy was just hitting abs and thigh poses in the mirror <laughs> just didn't realize that you're actually uh <laughs> yeah well you said he's like oh shit and then grabs the weight and re-racks it for you sorry man yeah carolyn on the other hand perfect spot no complaints so mm. i think uh dy could take a leaf out of some of his clients books but yes that's just my opinion what's the uh was it was it your adductor that was niggling a while back yeah yeah i think i picked up a little bit of a tweak there but that feels good like every now and again when i'm sitting around like after a leg day i'll feel like a little bit of a i don't even know if i'd call it pain i'm just kind of more aware of that area um, but it's not, it's not bringing me any pain during any lower body stuff now. So I'd say that's well and truly healed and back to normal. Um, and I'm, I'm training direct adductors, hip hinges, deep squats. So I think that's all sweet now, which is good. Mm. And then just hoping for a nice clean run and, and hopefully maintaining, you know, a lack of injuries during prep as well. Cause you know, it's, it's quite normal for something to come on. Like every time in prep, like when I get to a certain number of weeks out, I get this sort of neural irritation behind my knee and my knees just get like super clicky, which isn't really painful. It's just more so annoying. So I know that's probably coming. Um, but if otherwise I can stay pretty healthy, then I'll, I'll be pleased. Mm, nice. I find that with the seated adductor machine, that's probably one piece of equipment where I feel like I've got to do multiple warm up sets before I actually oh, yeah. get my working sets. Right. Like yeah. I, I've sit, like I can't just jump onto it, go straight into my, you know, my working weight and commence my weight. Whereas I feel like I can sort of get, get away with that a little bit more if I'm doing like maybe a lying hamstring curl, maybe we do one warm up set. Like whereas mm. the adductor machine, I'm probably doing like three, four, maybe five warm up sets from actually getting into my working sets. Yeah, the first I'd one agree. feels so awkward. It feels like your old lad's about to split in half, even on the lighter <laughs> weight. You just like you just give it one warm up, but then it gets all smooth, and then you're ready to roll. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm literally talking like warming up with like two plates or something like that, right? It's and then you might be using I don't know 60, 50 kilos, whatever on it, but it's like the warm up weight that you need to use is so low in comparison to actually what you use for your working sets. Yeah, because what he uh, like we at at Powerhouse, I think we're pretty spoiled. Like the adductor there, I don't know if you've used it yet. Dy, it's absolutely tremendous. And I've actually started doing 
hip abductions as well, where I lie the seat right back and I'm, I'm doing them, you know, at almost a, a neutral position. I saw Kasim post about that and, and he, you know, seems to think that's a bit better. And I, I just notoriously never feel my glutes during like a, a seated hip abduction where my knee's at 90. Like all I get is a TFL cramp and, you know, unhappy. That's, that's pretty much all I get out of that. When one. you do that one, let me know and I'll come spot you. I'll pin you down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I find is that if you stand like directly between my legs and then just help me get that last little bit, that that's what I prefer. But that's up to I'll you. probably flip around and then I'll like spot you. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Just make sure your head is like right down at like groin height so you can make sure I'm getting the range. Perfect, done. All right, cool. I'll see you in the morning. But there is like such a big contrast in strength between like a you know a seated abduction versus obviously like a, a standing abduction, right? I guess in that seated mm. position, you might get a little bit more like um, pir- piriformis muscle in there as well because it sort of horizontally uh, extends extends the hip when the, the hip is in like a more 90 degree angle. Whereas like when you're standing, it's more of an external rotator. So mm. you kind of get a little bit more contribution perhaps in that particular position. But Jack, have you used the... Um, Speaking of sort of seated and lying variants, I'm pretty sure the the seated adductor machine at Brendale, you can actually adjust the seat. So you can do like almost a the, the equivalent of like a lying adductor machine or a lying mm. or a seated adductor. You can do obviously abduction as well. Have you played around with that at all? No, I haven't actually. I, did, I didn't actually know the seat could uh, go back. Yeah, Is it yeah, the Cybex? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it's- mm. I, think I think it's, it's the, the same one then. Yeah, I think it's the Cybex. I yeah. think you might get more of that Maybe you get a little bit more uh, adductor longus if you're sort of laying laying back a little bit more rather mm. than maybe the brevis a little bit. But um, I know the it might, be, it might be worth playing around with with um, the seat position a little bit. Yeah, the adductor at Riggs, it's it's kind of like a combination of the shortened and the lengthened position because you can either it has. Have you seen it when you were there? Like you can you can it basically attaches around your ankles and your sort of mid thigh or. Mm. No, um, I didn't actually use it. I didn't see it though. It looks like yeah. you're up in like stirrups, like you're about to give birth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a unique feeling, but I, I'm not sure what sort of uh, correlation that has to actual different adductor muscles used, but it's, um, it feels pretty similar to the Cybex. Mm. Well, Lawrence, if you've got the Cybex one, you should try play around a little bit with um, more of a lying adductor versus yeah, a seated adductor. What do you, you feel from the difference? significantly weaker is what i felt way which weaker I, right I, yeah yeah which would make sense because you know if we're fully you know i'd make to be fair i'd have to revise my anatomy but if we are biasing longus and getting less out of the others you know you'd expect to be a little bit weaker and once again i think it's just like variety isn't it like there's probably no good or bad or i don't even know if there's you know optimal or, or less optimal but it's kind of like it's something different to do it's a way to load the tissues in a slightly different way so that you're not maybe encountering like overuse issues by doing the same exercise for six years in a row. So get, mm. out of curiosity, can you stack the Cybex? The, uh, I can seated, yeah. yeah seated, okay. seated, I can. Um, yeah. There you can, those big, phone, big boy thighs. <laughs> Bruh, what I'd give to be a watermelon when DY's around, am I right? <laughs> I mean, DC, well, both. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you can stack it, can't you, Lawrence? um kind of close i think but i do i do try and get quite a big stretch like i'm Mm. not sure yeah yeah (laughs) dy knows he knows what i mean but there's like at um powerhouse there's one of the little holes that you put the thing in is broken so that's like my like sort of yardstick where i know i'm go past one past the broken one so yeah Mm. Mm. but it's just hard to get out of it yeah, 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 it is. I haven't stacked it very often because I don't really tend to work within a lower rep range for a duct. I usually work between like 15 to 20. Mm, work okay. A little bit higher, just feels a bit more comfortable on my hips. If yeah. Anything. I do triples, so. Do you? <laughs> I just one RMs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, why not? I yeah. normally work in that 15 to 20 on them too, DC, but God damn, is it, if it's a close to failure set, like 15 to 20 reps, like it's agonizing, it's painful, like extremely. Mm, I find that adductors are one of those those um those exercises that if you get someone who hasn't done much adductor work and then they add some adductor work into their mm. program, we add some adductor work. In the, usually I'm hearing about it and they're checking, they're rating their soreness like through the roof. Same with <laughs> yeah. same with calves as well, to the point where like I couldn't get up off the toilet, walking down set of stairs was hard, like <laughs> putting on socks on, I couldn't literally like 
abduct my leg because my pull on my adductor like yeah the doms can be real that's for sure first week of adding them in you just absolutely crippled mm, absolutely how are you well, going uh, mate i'm good mate yeah i'm good i am very busy it's um 10 weeks out right now which no doubt for you boys um competitors as well you know 10 weeks out is kind of a bit of a significant landmark when it comes to like conditioning checkpoints um but in terms of the training side of things nicole and i've uh started training a little bit more of the powerhouse elite here at stafford just, just try and change it up a little bit we've we're training mostly in the evenings at this point in time and i don't know if you've trained at brendale in the evening jack but it's chockers no man. i haven't i try to avoid that absolutely <laughs> packed like to the point where you've got to sit on the side of the road with your car and kind of wait for a car to come out Jeez. so that you can park so um i've had a couple of occasions where it's been just crazy busy and i'm like oh you know it's it's you know six o'clock at night i kind of don't really want to have to be sitting around waiting for a park so i've started training at, at powerhouse um elite there at stafford it's really cool it's got mostly panada stuff watson Watson equipment. Have you guys played around with the Watson dumbbells before? Not yet. Yes, and I agree with your story. They are heavier for sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I'm sure they aren't actually, you know, physically heavier in terms of actual weight, but the the distribution of that weight is surely a hell of a lot different, right? I noticed that they've actually got fat grip handles and sort of thinner handles for most dumbbells. So each increment has both sets of dumbbells, interestingly. Um but just the distribution, right? Such a much, so much more of a compact dumbbell, um, and surely you don't want to drop that thing on your head when you're doing something like skull crushes. I was going to ask. Side of a concussion. What's the difference between a, a Panada high row versus a super high row? It's actually, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same thing. So when right. I when I posted that up, I was like, oh, I may as well just have a look actually what they call this particular row, you know, variant. And it, they call it the super high row. But to me, it's mm. almost like a front lap pull down, like the equivalent of like a, a hammer strength front lap pull down, just that with this particular one, you can change the angle of the grip so that you can actually change like- To a neutral grip, yeah. Yeah, you can do neutral, you can do an overhand grip, you could do more of a supinated grip if you wanted to as well. You can't quite get quite as much of a supination through the hand as you can on the, the hammer strength front lap pull down, which I actually love. I love that piece. It's probably one of my favorite pieces for back training from, from hammer strength. But um, yeah, Panada stuff's great. So it's a really cool gym, just a bit of a different atmosphere and definitely not as busy. Plenty, plenty of abundance of parking as well. So God, I sound like I'm like preaching for these guys. I better get a free membership here. From but, what um, I heard is they actually capped the memberships there as well. I don't know if, I, I believe it was, someone was telling me that they capped the memberships and it's like only a certain amount of members are allowed there because they don't want the gym to be flooded like a commercial gym. So it's like, you won't get like that world gym peak time. Like they have it capped. So mm. at one time, there's only X amount of people that are on the gym floor, more or less. So in that way, you can pretty much have your whole choice of machines. And it's not like a slaughter fest at prime time. Mm. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I can't, I can't really comment on that. I don't know. But um, have you guys always tried the, uh, the Watson pendulum before? That is a very heavy piece. You almost start with the, the, the actual you know, weight quite high up. Like the angle of it is very interesting. Mm. Can you That's change what, the foot platform? You can change the foot platform. Yeah, yeah they've uh, got one no. at Valhalla, but I haven't tried it. Well, that must be a newer one then because we've got the Watson at Powerhouse, but I don't think you can change the foot platform. Pretty much runs the same as my, I think, Lawrence. Like it's it's about equal. That's a joke, what? by the way. Our one is like that one that they have actually has like a full counterweight. Oh, Our so it has the counterweight. There's a bag of dicks at the, at the bottom. <laughs> It's not yeah, comfortable. Maybe, maybe if said bag is coming from you, big dog, but <laughs> how does it feel compared to the one at Brendale, DC? Well, firstly, the one at Brendale, the range is it's not that great. Is that like, I'm always, I'm always yes. yeah, like I'm always yeah. hitting the bottom and I'm I'm slightly embarrassed to pendulum off it because I'm literally bouncing off the bottom. Like it's making like a boom every time I hit the bottom and I'm losing, you know, I'm losing a good amount of tension at losing the bottom. Quad games, the yeah, because the weight's hitting, right? And I don't want it to. It's just that I simply cannot adjust the... I just squat too low for it, I guess. But um, yeah, the... Do you the, squat the, shoes the, with it at all? Have you tried uh, squat I do, shoes? I, yeah, I do use squat shoes. Yeah, I still hit the bottom. Um, But the... Yeah, the Watson It's one, interesting because I don't hit the bottom. And there's no... I guess I'm a little bit taller than you. But... Well, yeah, you are quite a bit. I mean, you are taller than me. So mm. obviously... Can you say that again? You're taller than me. <laughs> Thanks. But I'm pretty sure we weigh the same. Is that right? Or maybe I'm <laughs> heavier than you. That's a bit awkward. No, I think I'm still a few hundred grams heavier. Oh, are you? Oh, that's cute. I'm sorry, Not I can't actually. 
but uh yeah it is it is a really really cool uh, uh pendulum that's for sure but um other than that mate we're, we're all good i think my weight's sitting at around i mean what's yours jack um <laughs> i think it was 97 yeah i think it's around 97 and a half somewhere around there i've just gained about sort of you know three four kilos in the last day or so but um nice yeah nice. we need our arm measurements like i'm sick of this weight we need it we need to measure the arms right now Take well actually it. funnily enough one of the questions how many inches one, one of the one of the uh Lawrence pulls out his tape measure. Uh, one of the, the questions we did have, which I actually wanted to ask at the start, because I think this is probably the, the most important question that we can ask on this podcast. Um, we've asked to date, basically. And, uh, and basically that is, who would win in an arm wrestle? Did Ooh. you like that wind-up? Everyone's on the edge of their seat. Just like, what are these going to ask? Jesus. Who do, you, who do you reckon? I reckon it would have to be Big DC. Mm. I have not arm wrestled in in years because I am I'm scared. There's a skill component to it as well. That, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So it's not it's not just strength, is it? Like there's an mm. there's a such an integral skill component to it. Even like the angle that you hold your wrist in as well. Uh, yeah. Have you seen I, I that? I can't remember the last time I've arm wrestled. To be honest, I'm probably yeah, with same. you, Lawrence. I'm just scared yeah. of losing my bicep tendon. To be honest. But even like people break arms and stuff. I'm just yeah. scared of hurting you guys yeah oh, that's true is that right yeah yeah thanks because yeah, jack's got those strong hands now from fishing mm. when he's just reeling that's his front forearm is going to be just i don't actually use yeah, a reel i just uh, i just wind it in with my hands yeah hardcore i just thought you, just hand I just thought you caught, them, caught them with your hands you just you know mm, jump, just dive jump in. in just dive in after wrestling i'm just like caveman style yeah jack is oh. now the embodiment of that video where the fisherman's fighting the bear <laughs> yeah, that's <right>. <laughs> <laughs> the tuna ad or the salmon. Yeah, 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 John, John West ad, John wasn't West. it? Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, what a great ad. I'd still, I'll still vote DC though. I reckon yeah, his yeah. arms are the I biggest, think. and I could just, I just could see him working some internal rotator muscles <laughs> and stuff like that as like a warm up going into his heavy bench. So it would definitely mm. be DC. Mm, day in, day out, forearm warm ups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're putting together a nice little bodybuilding down under olympics we've got a race that jack's quite confident he'll win we've got the arm wrestling component surely there's got to be like a food competition like the most zingers that you can eat in once mm. in one something like that dy going in as a very short price favorite a dollar and two cents <laughs> to win that yeah. a fishing yeah. competition potentially there we go well um, it was actually interesting like when we were even talking about just like eating food and stuff. I'm like, when it, cause we've got a question as well. Like what's worse people complaining about being hungry or being full. And like, look, I've never had to eat 6,000 calories, but sometimes when I see people like we were talking about with Thorburn, like blending chicken and rice, I'm like, is there really nothing else you could do to make it more palatable? It's like, is there no other way you can get that food in? Cause sometimes I'm like, sure. What about blending other foods though? Like what if you just make a smoothie? Yeah, but that, that's because that would actually be palatable, you know, like but mm. blending your chicken and rice. Like, I think that's also a reflection of the people who are doing that are probably married to this idea that they can only eat chicken and rice because otherwise you would not be eating that. I'm sorry. To me, it also sounds like it's almost like a, a bizarre rite of passage. Like, a, you know, part of that whole identity of being a bodybuilder. Like, so I'm a bodybuilder and I eat lots of food. So my main, you know, food is chicken and rice which we all established is fantastic but not blended right <laughs> not even like, i would do that surely there's the second best you, meal yeah surely there's things that you can consume outside of chicken and rice that is going to be more convenient and palatable than simply blending your chicken rice broccoli and you know salt and pepper like Tabasco. yeah i don't know i think it's a bit ridiculous and far-fetched to be honest well i'm back on the cream of rice and it's probably the only meal i enjoy at the moment so i was literally the other day i was like should i just have this three times like if it's going to go down all the same i'll still get my veg in at night but i was like this is the only meal that i somewhat look forward to which yeah, is like weird, the hunter food... labrata diet where he was eating five lots of cream of rice every day <laughs> leading into the yo no veggies five lots of cream of rice can't I remember the fiber mate can't risk it you're going to be the new uh, cream of rice king just like the liver king but cream mm. of rice the core king yes and then it will come out that i've i'm just on gear this whole time 
<laughs> so, so what do you hate the most, Lawrence, when they complain about hunger or being full? Look, I think that both... Dislike, you know, not well, hate. I think in a way you can... If you want to take like a like an ethical or a moral stance, like both are probably not worth complaining about. Because on the one hand, you're complaining about an overabundance of food. And on the other, you're complaining about a lack of food, which you are choosing to, to do. So look, mm. I'm not big on either way. Like I think I've noticed like in my last prep, I sort of actively said to myself, Lawrence, you are doing this. You've chosen to do this. So don't be complaining to people around you. And I noticed like a bigger shift in my mentality where you're not sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. Cause if you're in a bodybuilding prep at any point, you can stop and go eat whatever you want. Like who's going to stop you. You know what I mean? It's not like you're locked in a room with only chicken and rice and vegetables. So look at the end of the day, I, I think, yes, you can say, Oh, like, you know, poor me, I am hungry. But I think the next sentence out of your mouth should be, but I know this is a part of it. I've chosen to do this. And at the end of the day, like fixating on that and, you know, looking at food porn all day and just thinking about how hungry you are is just going to make it worse. Mm. It's probably even worse when you, I was just going to say, it's probably (laughs) even worse when you are, you you, like you blame others around you for like eating things that you can't eat. It's like, I can't stand that is my, absolute pet peeve yeah like at the end of the day it is a choice right you decided to to do this contest prep and a part and parcel of that is you're going to feel some increases to uh to hunger for sure and other people around you are not in a contest prep so they're just going to go about their lives you know as 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 per usual uh which includes just eating at normal times in the day like eating lunch in the lunchroom which might be something that you're surely not eating and if it's like oh i can't believe that they eat this in front of me you know all the time it's like well maybe you've got a shift in perspective, like the wrong perspective here. People are just going about their lives, right? Yeah, I think some people might also be just stating it without complaining. They might just say, I am hungry or I am not hungry. They may not be complaining. So like I say, I wouldn't say I'm complaining on the podcast that I'm not hungry, but I I certainly state every so often that I'm not particularly hungry at the moment. Jack took a personal offense to this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm the one who asked the question. Which is bizarre, yeah. (laughs) Boom, it's out. Jack asks the question. <laughs> yeah, every question we've answered has just been ones we've thought of, guys. Sorry to spoil it. <laughs> so what do you think's worse? I like I don't know. I don't I don't think either either or is worse, right? Because I think there are there are difficulties in both like contest prep phase managing hunger and in the off season where we're pushing calories up a little bit higher. And you know, there are annoyances to both aspects, I think, but there's only so much you can complain about it, right? Having experienced yeah. both, I would say that being hungry is more uncomfortable than being full. Because like, so- at least while you're full, like you still have energy. Maybe I'm analogizing it to deep and comp prep, but I would say being hungry is worse, in my opinion. Mm, I agree. I agree. Well, it's like when you're in prep and you're in a dieted state, I guess you sign up for it. That's what you, that's what in the end, that's what you're doing. Like, you know, if you want to drop weight, you're pretty much going to have to be hungry to an extent. And if you're full, you know, it's not the worst thing. Like, you know, there's people out there that are really struggling to get food. And then here we are complaining about, you know, eating 4,000 calories a day. So there's definitely pros and cons to well, a lot of cons to both. But mm. uh, Speaking of, uh, of, of, of hungerness or being hungry, uh, we're currently sitting at 10 weeks out, right? From, from pretty much like the first bodybuilding uh, show of the season. And like I mentioned, you know, 10 weeks out is a, is a pretty, pretty big milestone, right? Because you're getting into that sort of sub 10 mark. Uh, how are you boys feeling at, at 10 weeks out, you know, leading into your, your seasons? Were you struggling? Were you feeling awesome? Were you confident where you were at that point in time? Were you feeling some of the more deleterious effects of that diet condition, energy starting to lull? Like where was hunger at? Let's start with you, Lawrence. Yeah, well, I normally, like even when I talk to people, whether they're bodybuilders or, or perhaps normal people, I, I sort of explain to them like, realistically, if you've set up a contest prep well, let's say you start at 25 weeks out. That first 10 weeks should be very easy, in my opinion. Like it shouldn't feel that hard. You shouldn't be getting super hungry. You shouldn't be getting super food focused. I'd even go as far to say as your training should still be progressing in most or all of your lifts. And then you get into that next five weeks from like 15 weeks out to 10 weeks out where 
some of these diet fatigue symptoms are going to start to come in and, and you might start to notice a bit of a dip in energy levels, a bit of a dip in training performance and, you know, things are starting to get towards that. And then when you hit that 10 week mark, in my opinion, that's where things are starting to get pretty spicy and it's starting to get hard or like, you know, what most people think of when they think of prep, because I know that's when for me, the food focus is starting to go up. The hunger is at a point where all the little tricks that have been working for the last five weeks aren't really working anymore. Your energy levels are, are probably pretty poor. Perhaps you've noticed a drop in libido and, and that sort of thing. So I think 10 weeks is where you really start to go, okay, this is what a prep is. And this is why everyone says that it is really hard. And obviously that's also going to depend on the competitor. Like if you're coming in for your first show and your coach has made a decision not to push you to extreme levels of conditioning, you might be chilling at 10 weeks and you might only start to feel that at five weeks. But I think nowadays, most experienced bodybuilders, if you're getting into legit stage conditioning, 10 weeks is probably where you're starting to feel the effects of the diet. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think for, for the most part, you you should probably have like a good maybe 80% of, or maybe 75, 80% of the weight lost by that sort of 10 week out mark. Don't you think? Because yeah. really like the, the, the initial components of the contest prep is where you kind of get the larger chunks done. Cause you kind of really want to slow down that rate of loss towards that sort of sub 10 week mark. Um, just as a means of reducing the severity of the deficit and therefore reducing the likeliness of losing lean muscle mass. Uh, so those rates of loss are maybe only a couple hundred grams. Whereas like at the start, might be trying to strive for more about more around that sort of 1% rate of loss. So I totally agree with you, man. I think that 10 week out mark is like where things start to get a little bit more hairy. It's kind of like when contest prep starts in a way, really, right? The, the harder components. What about you, Jack? How are you feeling, man, at 10 weeks out? Yeah, pretty similar, I would say. And I think what, what was unique about my last contest prep was just that I wasn't anywhere near as busy as either I am now or I was in my first prep when I was at uni because uh, it was still in the relative early stages of, of TBD. So I had a lot of time in my hands, which made things a lot worse because I was like, every day was a bit of a marathon to get through. And then, because I didn't have enough uh, other activities to occupy myself, it just made the process um, a lot harder. And I, I think more so at like seven to eight weeks out, I was, I was st struggling quite a lot at that point. Um, obviously I wasn't going to quit, but I can see why people would quit at that point because you're like, holy shit, I've still got seven to eight weeks left of this, which is when you're in prep, that's a long time and you feel like pretty, pretty average every single day. Um, so if you don't have a good support network or people encouraging you then, um, or you don't have the mental resilience, then yeah, that's, that's tough. Mm, especially like, I guess the first time you've ever contest prepped as well, where you've never experienced that sense of hunger and just low state of energy and just everything is difficult right like i remember laying back on the bed to put my socks on like getting up from you know the toilet after sitting there for 20 minutes just drifting off like it literally felt like i was deadlifting my shorts to, to stand up off the toilet like walking up a set of stairs was was an annoyance like i remember getting to the gym at north lakes and then i'm like okay the cardio station is upstairs like i want to do a little bit of walking before i start my session just kind of get some blood flow going I'd stand at the steps. I'm like, oh, okay. That's like, what, 10 steps? All right, let's go. So like, it was just like some of the most ridiculous things would become so challenging, right? Mm. Uh, how, what about you, DY? Were you experiencing some of these things at, at the 10-week out mark? I think one of the things that I noticed is like one day you wake up and you just feel like, like you've just been hit like a bus, like by a bus. And like you go to stand up and your legs are just so heavy. And that's like, that's the day when I know, all right, like, preps on like you just wake up one day you've had like an average sleep you get up um maybe you might have had a macro drop for me i noticed it right after i go past a certain amount of fats and then joe literally dropped my fats the day before next day i'll probably about probably eight to ten weeks out i just stood up and i was like yeah this is when prep starts and it happens every time i do a prep um so like you know your legs start to feel heavy the hunger starts kicking in a little bit as well but for me, it's also like some of the positives there is like, once I get to that 10 week mark, I'm like hyper fixated on like the end goal. It's just like everything at that point revolves around like my training and maximizing everything I can. It's like, this is the time where a lot of people also tend to like slack off, you know, take it easier. 
but it's also the time where like, you know, you got to be more focused than ever. You just can't get, do the first 16 weeks and then take an easy on the back end. This is, these are the mm-hmm. weeks that truly do count and pretty much what would separate a majority of the big, big competitors, like for yourself, like, you know, to get that big and that shredded on stage, like you're not doing that cruising the last 10 weeks. So it's like, even though it is hard, it's also the time where you've actually got to dig the heels in because this, this is where prep truly does start at that 10 week out the first 16 gets served on like they, they, they get delivered to you like you know you're 10 kilos down you're looking shredded like you're looking amazing energy levels are still solid but then like i said it hits you like a truck and then it's like all right well do i take it easy or do i get after it hmm. so those it's are funny the- isn't it there's almost like a point where in prep you're sort of you're losing that weight but your strength's still there you look pretty good in the mirror and you almost think to yourself like i could maybe retain this physique like i could probably <laughs> hold this physique like year round like surely right and then, and then like drop a few extra kilos and you're just like, holy shit. Okay. I've just been hit by a brick wall. Uh, mm. There's no way I can hold this. Like get me out of here as quick as possible. I want to compete, do awesome, exit the diet condition and then I'm sweet. So oh, no, I totally, I totally oh, relate. On that subject, a lot of people always ask like, oh, do you think I can like maintain this physique or like somewhere similar? And in the end, like comp prep diet isn't like the way you approach comp prep. It's like, it's not a diet that's meant to maintain like this level of physique. If you wanted to honestly maintain around that eight to 10% body fat, you'd go at it probably a complete different way. And you wouldn't do it in a 28 week whack, like off the bat, like, you know, you might break it up a little bit. So like whenever I always have people ask me like, Oh, like, can I do the comp prep? I can maintain. I was like, if you want to maintain it, you probably got to go about it a little bit different incorporate a little bit more flexibility for example and break it up so it's not as like you know like there's no way you're doing a 28 week prep and trying to maintain your physique after you would be absolutely dead Mm, absolutely with with some of that those those symptoms that you guys were talking about you know lower energy etc kind of getting hit by a brick wall like what what were you guys doing to to get through your days like were there any strategies that you're adopting were you trying to keep your mind busy on other things obviously we can a lot of competitors can really fixate on the food side of things. They watch, start watching chef show on Netflix. They start watching like all these things that can kind of obviously ramp up food, food, food. Yeah, exactly. Like cravings. Right. Which I, I don't think helps. Like, I don't care what someone says like, Oh, it's, it's, it makes me feel good. Like I, you know, if you have to reach past like a set of Maltesers every time in the morning and you're covered before you grab your oats to have it, like you're going to be thinking about those Maltesers every single day of prep. So just like, Mm. don't, you know, out of sight, out of mind, like don't, don't expose yourself to it. But what, what were some of the things that you guys were keeping yourself busy? Were you reading books, playing games, listening to podcasts, like music, like meditating, journaling, like anything like that, that maybe some of the listeners might benefit from? I think what Jack said is, is pretty crucial. Like just, and you know, this is very vague, but like keeping yourself busy with things that actually do occupy your mind fully, because I know that my last contest prep when I was in uni, like the weeks would just fly by because especially when you get into exam block, like obviously like Jack will know at UQ, you have like a week of study. And I know a lot of unis do this, like a week of just study before your exams kick off. And on those days, I would not have a minute that was unaccounted for. Like from the time I went up to the time I got to bed, every single thing had a time slot of what I needed to get done. And when you're in that sort of prep mode, along with that, you just feel so productive. And it did certainly help in terms of food focus because I knew that, okay, I'm going to have a meal and then I've got two hours of study blocked out. So that's going to be occupying what I'm thinking about. And I think for that reason, you know, having a job where you are like thinking about stuff is really helpful. Like I could imagine maybe if you, if you did have a job, even if it was quite physical, but it was quite menial in the sense where you're just sort of doing this manual work and your mind has an opportunity to drift and wander, like I could see that being really challenging because you're able to, to think about this stuff all day. But I do think like, I agree with you fully there, DC. Like in my first prep, I was following, you know, the Nick, your mate, DY, this, I can never pronounce his last name, like following him, following Brisbane Burger Quest, looking at all this like food stuff and just like the food focus was unbelievable. And then in my second two preps, I said to myself, that didn't help me at all. I'm not doing that. And it certainly does make a big difference. And I think like choosing, you know, the palatability of your foods for the most part is going to be important with that as well. Mm. And, you know, if you're really craving that sweet tooth, just get a hold of some of those sugar-free gummies and you'll probably be a few kilos down the next day. So it's a win-win. Perfect. Either a few kilos down or up, depending on 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I think uh, I think you might be a few kilos up initially, right? <laughs> and then you'll go to that bathroom and you'll you'll break the porcelain. That's that's what'll happen. You'll 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 gain some air off that toilet. That's what'll happen. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would I, I experimented with a few different things. Like that's for me when the uh, content uh, production phase of tbd really started like before that if you if anyone wants to be bothered to scroll down on tbd like we we weren't really posting anything it was more so just podcast stuff and then i would say from maybe around january of of 2021 um like that's when i actually started to do some more content on instagram uh for tbd and that occupied a lot of my occupied a lot of my time and allowed me to kind of develop those skills around uh, producing that style of content, which looking back was super beneficial. Um, I experimented with even some things like um, playing playing extra video games. But what was interesting with that is my energy availability got to a point, it was so low where I just wasn't um, stimulated enough to actually- You were just getting shit on all the time, weren't you? <laughs> no. Gameplay well... wasn't up to scratch and you were just getting rickrolled. Well, I, I mean, that happens regardless of my energy availability, but um, it was more so I just couldn't really concentrate enough on the actual uh, game um, to make it worth playing. Like I just always gravitated back to work, which was uh, was an interesting point. Mm. DY is getting 360 no scope. He's like, <laughs> mate, i got to put the controller down. I'm not playing good anymore. <laughs> Went through three flat screens, you know, it wasn't looking good. <laughs> Um, the biggest thing for me probably like that helped was like my routine was pretty much the exact same each day. And like, to obviously try and keep as much like, like I wanted my workouts to be at the forefront and my meal timing. So I pretty much did a routine that worked for me. I guess it's quite hard if you're like, you know, work like a full-time job, but for me as an online trainer and same with you boys, like, you know, you can kind of make your life revolve around your training to an extent. So I'd have like times that worked really well for me. So then that way my training didn't sacrifice I had set meal plans and meal timing. So then that way I didn't, you know, eat off plan. I wasn't thinking about all these other meals. Um, in terms of the food, I have had that issue where you're watching Stephanie Buttermore's food challenges and she's pumping down 10K calories, but it never, ever helped and it made it so much worse. So I pretty much like blocked all Instagram pages and everything, like anything that was pretty much food related. Like I didn't even search it up because I knew that... Um, it would start popping up on my feed. One thing I actually did is started looking at pages like that do a lot of advertising on Instagram, like JD sport, for example, you search up one of their pages and you're getting flooded by ads. So it was kind of like a tactic I had that I was searching up like activewear, like Nike, like JD and stuff like that. So then that way I wasn't getting ads for food, KFC and all this other stuff. Instead, I was getting ads for activewear where it's like, did I buy some activewear? Maybe, but like, you know, at least I wasn't getting stuff that was going to tempt me and make my dieting um, symptoms worse. So that was a couple of things that I did with that. But um, I found like on the back end, I was like super productive. Like what Jack was saying, like, you know, you don't sit there playing video games as much anymore. It's like, you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, what can I do for work? Or I've got check-ins or maybe I might be doing a little bit more steps. So I don't know, having a good routine, meal timings and stuff like that took out a lot of the issues for myself. Mm. Nicole can tell you what I was doing because I would rock up at like six o'clock at Bunnings ready to like build something. Like I got in this <laughs> weird, weird frame of mind where I was just like wanting to build things. So I bought like a, a cable pulley thing and I made up like a cable pulley thing that I could use in our own like home gym. I built the, like the racks that I put on my dumbbells on and everything like that. And this was obviously when like COVID was a thing and kind of, you know, or more of a thing and, and, and gyms were sort of closing and opening, et cetera. But um, yeah, I got in this like really, really weird sort of creative mindset where i think it was i think it was just subconsciously wanting to occupy my mind away from away from food that was kind of my 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 strategy there creativity um but also having that routine just like you guys said so i'd, I'd be quite meticulous meticulous with planning out my diary as to you know i'm doing steps wake up i might do 30 minutes of steps might have my first meal then i'm doing some work check-ins until this time have my next meal and once I finish my check-ins, I'll go for a further walk or I might, you know, walk down. At that time, we were pretty close to the gym. So I would either walk to the gym or let's say we drove there, train. So it's, you know, the whole the whole kind of day is mapped out. And I think it's also really important to map, perhaps even reflect back on, you know, when are you the most triggered when it comes to things such as like food focus? Do you notice it's in the evenings? Does that also coincide with when you spend the most time, you know, at home scrolling through the Instagram, looking at that stuff as well? So 
I think it's really important to sort of reflect upon your day and, and try and find find aspects or find things that you can do to sort of strategically take your way away from your mind away from some of those more difficult aspects of prep. Mm. Sure. I find that there's an interesting part of the off season as well, where you won't compete again until those harder aspects of prep are sort of forgotten about. Like we can remember them now, but they're nowhere near as uh, present in our mind compared to when we recently went through it. Like I remember a year after I competed, I was like, okay, I'm not going to compete um uh at this point in time because the the feeling of having having relatively soonish just gone through it was still very much uh present whereas now i can look back on those thoughts and not be not be negatively impacted i'm not sure if you guys are the same yeah it's post-traumatic prep disorder (laughs) basically what what it is no i I call it like prep trauma it's basically Mm. that right like you 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 finish your contest prep and you're like oh you know, I'm okay. I'm going to take a bit of a lengthy off season now. Like I need to recover. I'm not going to get back on stage until I'm, you know, back into a good position a couple of years from now, et cetera. And I totally understand that. What you don't even recalling back on it now, like prep probably seems so much more enticing now than what it was when I was in there, like actually feeling those, those effects. Right. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because like the position I'm in at the moment, I'm almost, I'm in two mindsets. Like part of me, has this distant memory from 2020 where I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember how hard it is to get into that level of conditioning. And part of your sort of, you know, self that almost doubts you're like, man, like I've had two, like almost three years where I've just been enjoying the off season, having like, you know, nutritional flexibility, like not really getting in the, um, the depths of any sort of uh, suffering, another buzzword for prep, but like, you're just like pretty chilled for the most part. And it's like, can I actually, do I have what it takes to do that again? But then you've also got like another little part of yourself, which you know how hard it's going to be, but that's also part of the excitement. Like you're almost looking forward to pushing yourself to that limit. And I think that's only something that comes once you've done a couple of preps. And then, you know, the severity of that challenge almost becomes an attraction in its own. Like you're almost like, there's a part of me that's looking forward to those days that DY mentioned where I wake up out of bed and each leg feels like 50 kilos and I go, okay, like I know today's going to be tough, but you almost like it. I think you have to be somewhat sadistic, right? To put, to put your body through, through that sort of, um, you know, aspect and, and, and enjoy it, be able to reflect back fondly on it and enjoy it. And like, that's what you have to do at the end of the day, right? You have to enjoy it. Like you have to enjoy prep because yes, there's hard days, but surely if you approached every day, like this sucks, I cannot wait to get out of prep. Like you'll look back on it and you'll resent it, especially if you come away with perhaps not the result that's intended uh, where we can't control, you know, who shows up on the day or what the judges prioritize. Like if it's the, 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 the affirmation that you should receive is from your ability to put in effort and showcase to yourself that you're able to achieve something on that stage, look incredible, present your absolute best. Like they're the things for you to fixate on rather than fixating on the negatives associated with prep, right? because it probably paints a picture to anyone who's thinking about prep is like oh this doesn't sound very enticing whereas like no doubt if you had someone come to you and say hey like i've been interested in bodybuilding for a while like i know that these are some of the side effects that might be associated with prep like is it worth it like what would you boys say to them like you'd say hell yeah it's worth it like i would say for myself it's worth it i wouldn't say it's worth it for everyone but well no like i don't i don't mean it by that like i don't mean Mm. it if like you know someone off the side of the street goes, Hey, I've thought about bodybuilding, but I've never trained in a day in my life. Like, is it worth it? No, I'm talking about someone who's been trained and invested in the idea of bodybuilding for a good amount of time. They come to you and say, should I jump on stage? Should I try and attempt it? You'd probably go, yeah, man. Like if that's where your head's at, do it. It's worth it. Right. If they've done the fundamentals prior and like, you know, they put in the work, they love the training, they love nutrition, then like, yeah, sure. Like, that's probably like the next step going, taking it to that next level. Like, you know, you want to display all the hard work, but if it's someone that comes to you that hasn't even tracked the workout and like, you know, doesn't even know how to track their MyFitnessPal, it's like, yeah, yeah, you probably ain't going to be cut out for it. Even though that's how I pretty much started with Joe. Um, in the end, I guess it worked out well, but for 90, probably 5% of people, it probably isn't going to work out to be this positive experience like you would hope. Mm, I think as a coach, you need to be able to sort of screen the people that come to you and, you know, talk about prep and their interest towards prep. And then perhaps there's some boxes that we need to tick off firstly before it's probably a viable option to pursue, but certainly something that can be pursued once those habits and um, things like that have been established, right? At the end of the day. 
for sure. Awesome, boys. Well, uh, did you have a question, Lawrence? I think you mentioned that you had a question that you wanted to answer before we started recording. Oh, yeah. It was just one that I was listening to the Revive Stronger podcast. I think it was this. It's one of those questions that it comes up in, in the bodybuilding spheres, but it was sort of about how you look at yourself in terms of your identity and you know having different hats that we put on. And I think it's quite interesting because I even read a book recently and it spoke about actually the importance of of viewing yourself in different ways because if you have multiple identities then you can approach any situation from a more neutral pragmatic view so like if someone is having a conversation with you dc about how unhealthy natural bodybuilding is and how stupid and silly it is if you then put yourself into the hat of a exercise physiologist and you approach that like that conversation that way you're probably going to have a much more productive conversation and you're going to look at it with a different lens which is not going to be as fueled by your emotions as the identity of like a natural bodybuilder and i just wanted to ask you guys like within your own lives like how high on the pecking order is i am a natural bodybuilder like is that sort of one of the the main identities that you have and is that stuff that you guys talk with your clientele with about in in terms of having stuff outside of bodybuilding because i for one think it's really important hmm yeah, no, that's actually an amazing question. Um, I think since since competing, you know, obviously that 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 has pushed that identity for me to sort of the forefront. And no doubt, people who I mostly associate with within the community are centered around, you know, DC as being a bodybuilder, and that's kind of like my identity. But it's interesting because, like, I you know, I have many friends outside of the the bodybuilding industry, and to and to them, I'm just like DC. I'm just Dan. Like, I just you know, I'm, I'm also do some bodybuilding on the side. Like that's not really my identity. I know these people like from, from my entire life. And that's just a very small segment of like who I am as a, as a person. Um, but I think it is super important to perhaps have a couple of different identities and, and sort of wear a couple of different hats as well, you know, because I think if something, for example, if you, if you tied your, your identity so solely to bodybuilding and then something happened in life where it, it created a, a fork in the road where perhaps it resulted in a shift in your identity, you'd probably have a bit of a crisis, right? As to who you are and what you stand for and what you represent. So it's probably nice to have some things outside of, of, um, of bodybuilding that also define you, whatever that may be. It might be another sport. It might be, I guess in, 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 that, in that sense, you could relate it to other interests outside. You might be a gamer as well. Like you might be an anime enthusiast you might be like other things that you just generally identify as as yourself what do you guys think in terms of bodybuilding well a bodybuilder being my strongest identity what like lawrence said it probably wouldn't be my strongest i would put like an online coach and what i do for a job probably slightly higher than that but um like bodybuilding is huge and if anyone knows me they know that i love to train like you know i feel i I approach it like i'm an athlete but in terms of my strongest identity i would probably say like like a lot of people know me for like online coaching which you know pretty much now in in this day and age is pretty much training nutrition uh full-time psychologist and mental (laughs) (laughs) um but i would probably put that as my strongest but that's gone straight to the point so i'll let jack dive in Oh yeah, I was just I was just going to say like whatever makes you happiest. Like if you're trying to balance all these different identities and you're not actually that happy, then is it really worth it? Um, mm. So and similarly, similarly, some people hold on to identity that doesn't make them happy too. Mm, for sure, right? Because like let's say for example, someone is a bodybuilder and they've been a bodybuilder for a massive component of their life, and maybe you know they've lost interest in that. Which how does that even happen? I don't even know. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe they lose interest, right? And they want to start taking up something else, you know, or maybe they get injured and they no longer are able to participate in their sport. Maybe this is outside of bodybuilding. And so, you know, they have that identity crisis. And so, you know, it's hard for them to kind of move on because they believe that they've got that sort of internal pressure that they need to be a certain someone to society, which is perhaps not true to themselves, right? Because they don't derive happiness from that anymore. So I think the, 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 the real nail on the head is like, what makes you happy, right? That's sort of, that's probably the identity that you need to adopt really. And it might be a couple of things or it might just be one thing. 
that's a very good point dc but you also see a lot of people in the reverse situation like you know people that were maybe a bodybuilder and they want to hold on to it but then you see people that also really want to be a bodybuilder where sometimes some things don't really align like they'll want to be a, oh, i'm a bikini athlete and i've got to do all this but then you know they might not do what it actually takes to be a bikini athlete in that sense like you know they're trying to grasp this i want to be this but maybe in inside they don't want to be and it might be making them unhappy doing so you know they're kind of putting themselves in this big hole of i've got to be this to society like you know i've competed once before and or maybe i want to compete and i've told people i'm going to do it but in the end like i'm not it makes me very unhappy to do so mm -hmm. absolutely yeah it's an interesting question to, to ponder upon i think in terms of my strongest identity i guess to others, yes, I would say as a bodybuilder slash slash coach, um, probably be your side chest. <laughs> side chest, yeah, exactly. Side chest, most muscular. That's what I know you for. <laughs> but yes, what about you boys? Like, do you, is that your strongest identity, Jack? Is bodybuilding your strongest identity? Mm. I wouldn't say bodybuilder. I would just say just like general health and fitness and nutrition. Like, even from the age of like. 12 i was that kid doing push-ups in his room i was watching my diet it's literally been my identity i guess you could say for as long as i can remember it's it's a bit weird but um for sure i definitely haven't really had too many identities outside of of health and fitness which is why i guess you could say i've somewhat succeeded um but I, it means i'm also my my main experiences have been around health and fitness which i'm happy so i don't care but i know mm. that's what some people say about um about bodybuilders who are obsessed about their gym and about their nutrition yeah i'm the same actually like i've only really held a job in 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 the fitness industry like gym instructor pt ex-phys it's always been centered around that so i guess my identity probably resonates more so with just health and fitness as a whole um and recently more within the bodybuilding demographic pop populace mm. yeah but uh no doubt as a listener you're thinking okay what is my main identity what, what do I want it to be as well? So something to uh, ponder upon, but that basically wraps up another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. If you've loved today's episode, remember to give us a subscribe and an awesome review, review and we will most certainly see you in the next episode.